Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net. And be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. You can find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Western Canada, my guest is a singer, songwriter, and guitar player who was a finalist in this year's Canadian Songwriting Competition and twice was the only Canadian picked to be an emerging artist inside the CMA Fanfare in Nashville. She has had several of her songs cut by artists all over North America, including Grand Ole Opry performer Sherry Lynn. My guest has recorded three albums in Nashville and performed at the famed Bluebird Cafe there. She has recently released a Christmas album that features a Grammy-winning team of musicians. You've been hearing a song called Tropical Christmas from that album, it's my pleasure to welcome to now hear this entertainment, Beth Marie Anderson. Hello, thank you for having me. Hi, Beth. Thank you for m- making time to talk with me today. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, this turned out to be great timing, actually, having you on so close to Christmas time in light of your new album. Tell the listeners about the song from it that we were just playing, Tropical Christmas, especially since you don't live somewhere tropical. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know what? Um... I live as close to tropical in Canada as you can get. I live on Vancouver Island, so I actually am surrounded by beaches. And Ah. uh, where I'm from, Parksville, uh, which is kind of in the middle of the island, uh, we actually have white sandy beaches and a couple palm trees. Ah, there you go. I stand corrected. (laughs) There you go. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, Tropical Christmas is a really cool song. It's um, one of my, I think it was the second Christmas song I ever wrote, and I wrote it with with a lady named Robin Ruddy down in Nashville. And I started kind of explaining to her that at Christmas time, we don't really get any snow because we live on the island and and it's it's more of a tropical Christmas, if anything, a little colder, obviously. <laughs> and uh, we started kind of just chatting about, um, you know, what it would be like just to go on basically vacation and not have to worry about all of the the decorations and just kind of all the hustle and bustle of of the season so uh that song was was kind of born out of that and um it actually had a a different name originally um and eventually we kind of just started getting into this really kind of tropical groove and and we decided that the name was was tropical christmas so (laughs) so clarify for me then was this just an off conversation that you were having and looked at each other and said, huh, maybe we should do a song about that. Or was it, no, Bruce, we were deliberately trying to write a song and this was the concept that we were talking around. Well, you know what? We were deliberately trying to write a Christmas song um, because I was developing my catalog to be able to eventually record a Christmas album. But we we didn't have any type of uh, title or any type of, um, you know, concept that we were really talking about we were just kind of talking about different different christmases and and the experiences you can have at christmas and different things to do and then this kind of developed from there okay and i mentioned in the intro that on this christmas album that it features a grammy winning team of musicians did any of them perform on this particular song yes 
So um, just amazing, amazing musicians. We had um, Andy Lethwich, who, um, if you haven't heard of him, definitely have to look him up. He's, I believe he's a four-time winning Grammy, four-time Grammy winning <laughs> musician. And he actually plays... Um, the, on this album, he plays the fiddle, the mandolin, the banjo, and the acoustic guitar. Wow. So on this track, he played um, mandolin and, I believe, fiddle. And uh, we also had uh, Jeff Taylor, who's from the Time Jumpers. I don't know if you have heard of them, but they, they're they um, eight-time Grammy-winning group, and he's he's just fantastic. And he played um, the piano. As well as on, on the rest of the album, he played uh, piano, uh, Wurlitzer, 88, just different types of pianos. And he also played accordion, which was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then on um, for the horn section, we had uh, the trumpet was, oh my gosh, I'm going to say his name wrong, but uh, Vinny Salzeski, I think is how you say his <laughs> name. It's, it's a hard one to pronounce, but, um, but he's actually played on... 50 Grammy nominated or Whoa. winning albums. It's like Whoa. a half and half. Half of them win, <laughs> half of them were, you know, <laughs> were just nominated, but uh pretty fantastic and then the the saxophone actually uh is a Canadian. Uh, his name's Tyler St- Summers and he actually moved to Nashville in 2009 and we kind of kept t- touch. We um we met in Nashville. And now he tours with Martina McBride and uh, Jamie Johnson. Wow. And uh, he's played with uh, Aretha Franklin. It's just crazy. So I've just been really blessed just over the past handful of years to have met some really cool people that are that believe in my music too. And then, you know, when we reach out to them, they're able to play on the album. So, yeah, just really cool. Yeah, I would definitely call that a, a Grammy-winning team of musicians for sure. <laughs> the first one that you mentioned, though, you were listing off the different instruments that he played, and you said acoustic guitar, but you play acoustic guitar. So help yes. me understand him playing instead mm-hmm. of you, or is it in addition to? And even if it was in addition to, why? You know, um, for I play a lot of performance guitar, but I don't have too much experience um, actually tracking guitar. Um, and I could I could play my own acoustic guitar, but I had um, just access to such amazing gu- guitar players that can create. Uh, that's that's their thing, you know what I mean? Like my my thing is is definitely songwriting and singing, and then. In addition, I play the guitar, but these guys, it's like they're A session players. Um, Andy, for instance, play has played with Ricky Skaggs um, and a bunch of other people, but wow. he's toured with him since he was 16. So you can't wow. really pass up that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, come on, Bruce. You can have a Grammy winner play guitar or you can have me. Who are you going to pick? Uh, no. Okay. And like, hey, I, I listen to their licks and I try and pull them off live, but uh, but I can't hold a candle to Andy Lefwich. He's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, I know we've just met, but I got to be honest with you. Sorry, Beth. I would pick the Grammy winner. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> well, in terms of the decision to do a holiday record, or as they do say in Canada, record, I'm interested in the in the business side as it relates mm-hmm. to uh, a holiday album is likely only going to it's only going to be purchased in say November and December for all intents and purposes whereas a non-holiday release people will be interested all year long in purchasing that. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of expense involved in recording an album. So, do you at any point weigh the factor that I just described and think, "Hmm, is this all worth it?" 
you know, or, 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 wow, I've really got my work cut out for me marketing this thing, maybe <laughs> even more heavily than I would a non-holiday release. You know, um, yes, but that being said, I, I have, I have done a lot of recording, um, very short kind of tangent here. I, I recorded the, my first album in 2009 with a release in 2010. And then the next album that I recorded, it was in 2013. And that was the time where everybody was saying, Oh, don't record a full album, release an EP, like an extended play with, you know, five songs on it. And right. I had already recorded my second album. So I actually split it up <laughs> and released seven songs in 2013. And then I released a few, a few other songs in 2016 and all this whole time ever since I was little though I've wanted to record a Christmas album and I've always just been kind of waiting and it got to the point where uh, where I live on Vancouver Island I've been performing uh, this would be my second tour but I've been performing shows on the island for about f four or five years now and um and most of the time sold out shows and everybody in my hometown has been asking, when's your Christmas album coming out? When's your Christmas album coming out? And since then I just, I found that I was, I was pretty talented at writing Christmas music, which is, you know, uh, I didn't know until I started writing it. And so since I have now 15 original Christmas songs and, and yes, on the business side, you only have a couple months to promote it. But for me, it was a, a, a few different things. One, I had already recorded a few albums and I wanted to do something different. And then uh, two, for my hometown crowd, they just, um, all my supporters, you know, people who are wanting to buy physical albums, people who are coming to my shows and they want to walk away with a piece of the experience in their hand. Um, I did it for them. And then also, because I was recording mainly original tracks, uh, as soon as January hit, Hey, I'm going to be pushing these to Hallmark movies, commercials, um, other artists wow. to see if maybe they want to cut Christmas wow. albums. Interesting. So I did this for multiple re reasons, but um, also to segue into my new my new sound because it's changed a lot over the years. So um, yeah, so so that's kind of uh, that's kind of why I decided I like to do it, it this I year. Like it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and they talk about this in the podcasting world that if your audience is telling you this is what we want then you give them that. So for for you to do all these shows, and by the way, just excuse me, Beth, listeners, how crazy is this that two weeks in a row, we not only get a guest, I'm referring to last week, um, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to episode 201. I interviewed George Miller, the founder, songwriter, guitar player, and singer from the Irish Rovers, who is in Western Canada, and they're both in British Columbia, and I'm 98.4% sure that he too <laughs> is Vancouver Island. So yeah. talk about, yeah. as they say, an hour to the east of me over in Orlando. It's a small world after all. Um, that's, that's <laughs> it is. There's lots of talented people who yeah. live on Vancouver Island and, and in Vancouver, yeah. But as I was saying, you know, for your people there to tell you, gee, we wish you would do a Christmas album. It's like, okay, I do have to worry about can I sell enough of these to make back what it cost me to record it? But here's a yes. group of people that are telling you, we'll buy it. Please record it. And you go, okay, that's that's an yeah. easy decision to make. <laughs> but I, I like something that you started to talk about, which is that I personally really like holiday albums that are not just an artist covering the old standards. But I did wonder, as I prepared to interview you today, how tough is it to come up with lyrics for original holiday songs, though? To take us through that process. You know, I don't know if it's just me, but 
it's easy for me. <laughs> it's I just love Christmas so much that it's not hard for me to put that into words. Um, for each of these songs that are on the album, um, I, I picked very carefully because, as I mentioned previously, I have 15 original songs and uh, original Christmas songs, I should say. <laughs> um, and so when I was crafting them, I, I basically wanted to touch on things that were important to me. But also sometimes, you know, one of the songs that's on the album, um, I wrote with a girl in Vancouver and we originally wrote it for her to, to possibly record. And as I played it out, my audience, you, you know, I'm doing concerts and people are just have tears running down their face. And I was like, well, this mm -hmm. is a really powerful song. And when we wrote it, we kind of blended both of our uh, family's traditions growing up. So it didn't feel like it wasn't, you know, wasn't my song, but that's kind of, um, that's kind of how a lot of them were born. Just kind of talking about, you know, w one, what we, what I, or what we love about Christmas or, uh, what could be said that hasn't been said before, um, like yeah, same sky yeah. or something fun and funny, like using our imagination, like reindeer reunion and, um, and tropical Christmas. And actually, I, you'll probably hear another Christmas album coming out of me in the next, you know, handful of years too, wow. because I have so many. I wow. just, I want to share them and and um, yeah. So it's it's not it hasn't been that that crazy difficult to to come up with it. But I have heard tons of people who have come up to me and said, "I've been working on a Christmas song for three years. How, how do you like please <laughs> like tell me you know your secrets?" Well, and, yeah, because here's the thing: you just said you know we're trying to think up songs for an original Christmas album around things that haven't been written about before, but you're doing it within that limited scope. Yeah, but it has to be about Christmas, though, because it's tough <laughs> enough in the songwriting world to think of a song that hasn't been written about before, and that's in an area where everything is fair game. You want to write about yeah. two fast cars going down the road? Do it. You want to write about a beautiful mountainscape scenery? Do it. You want to write about... Two, and the list goes on. And here it's like, mm -hmm. okay, you're only writing about Christmas... It's like, ooh, hold on a minute. You know, and then you're saying, okay, wait a minute, there's one other catch. Don't write something that's already been done before. And you go, wow. Well, I better start yeah. writing in February then. If I... <laughs> Heck with February, January 1. I've been writing for Christmas, you know, I've been writing Christmas music since 2011. So uh, 2011, okay. we wrote uh, Merry Christmas to Me, first Christmas song ever. And uh, that one was the one who was that was recorded by the Grand Ole Opry performer and uh, ended up on a couple of CD compilations for the troops. Uh, you know how it is awesome. with promotion. We didn't promote it and it ended up on Apple Apple Music and all this. And I was going what's happening? Like I, I didn't even push this. I didn't promote it. And everybody just, they just really enjoyed it. And Amazing. I thought, okay, there's something I can, I can say something special in Christmas. And you know how they always say you have to find your niche. Yep. And it's like, I believe for, for my artistry, I have a few niches, but one of them, Hey, I don't mind it being Christmas. Cause I love it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. You know, y you've been doing shows this month presumably of your holiday songs, I would guess, at yeah. venues such as art centers, theaters, halls. How different is it to prepare a holiday show as opposed to a set list of what you're used to doing when you're performing live, say, in the middle of July? Um, well, I, uh, I think about the audience um, 
and I think about people who have come that have seen me before and, and, and people who haven't. And I think about what songs do I really enjoy singing and then what are really popular songs that other people enjoy listening to. <laughs> um, and then I kind of create my, my set list from there. Trying to cut down on my original songs is hard, as I mentioned, because I have so many. But um, this particular time, I included all of my, most of my album, with the exception of, of one of the really dense tracks called New Year. Um, I, I decided not to perform that because it, it has drums and trumpets and background singers and mm. it's crazy. <laughs> so um, I, I eliminated a few songs and you have to kind of change the arrangement because for this tour I'm performing with myself on guitar and then I have a piano player. So, um, so for this tour, just really intimate. I call it kind of living room sessions. Huh. I talk to them. I tell them the stories behind my original songs. Um, I just, I try to really get folks invested in the the journey that this, this concert can take them on. I like it. And, um, yeah, and it's just, it's just really warm and, and I bring decorations. Oh my gosh. I rent, I rent it for longer than I need to the, the venues. Cause I actually set up an entire like Christmas decoration wow. scene on stage and like just make it. it really cozy. Yeah. I like it. That's great. Wow. Listeners, if you are a musician and you're performing live or recording albums like Beth does, you want to be looking at Tascam gear. They have equipment for home hobbyists right up to the touring professional. I know that Tascam gear was used to record the live Christmas show that Jessica Lynn just did. She was the guest back on episode 156 of this show. And of course, I am using all Tascam gear right now to record my interview with Beth. If you're going to the NAM show in California next month, Tascam will be there highlighting a number of mixers that they have plus other products and I will be at their booth too, so stop by and say hello. Meanwhile, visit Tascam.com to see the wide range of equipment and solutions that they have available. Beth, speaking of next year, you already have the CMA Fanfare in Nashville in June on your 2018 live dates calendar. I mentioned in the intro about your having been there twice already. Talk about the yeah. experiences that you've had there, but also for the benefit of the listeners who are up and coming performers themselves, in addition to talking about your experiences there, how have you been getting the opportunity to participate? Is there an application process? Do you know somebody? Do you have a manager or a booking agent that got you in? Yeah. So, um, uh, about gosh, when, when was this? I think it was about 2011. I I had heard about the fanfare and I looked into it and uh, you basically have to apply and they only pick so many, they only have so many booths. So there's only so many spots for emerging artists, but you're competing against not only emerging artists that are independent, but also there, this is including emerging artists that are already on labels. Wow. So, um, so you have to have a certain uh, stipulation of, for the application. So, uh, a while ago it was a certain, you either had to have a qual two qualifying marks. So for instance, you either had to have a song charting on the, on the, on the radio or on the charts. You had to either have a certain amount of followers on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and back then I think I had 37 followers, <laughs> um, back in 2010 or so. And they and wanted so actually, 40, done it. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted 10,000. So, I was like, wow, 10,000 followers, that's a lot. So um, I, I 
you know, hired a social media person and I help, I got them to help me figure out how to find the followers and, and how to engage people. And, and I worked my way up to, I think at the time, um, it was about 13,000 followers Mm. and, um, back in 2013. And so when I applied, you had to show a screenshot of, of your, you know, whatever Uh. your qualifying factor was. And so I sent in, you know, my Twitter followers and, uh, and I, and I got accepted. And then I, I was asking all these questions because, you know, you're supposed to be able to bring merchandise and, and do all this stuff. And I was asking them, what do I do? Because I'm Canadian. So I don't have, I didn't have a social insurance number, for instance. So I couldn't rent one of their um, machines that took debit and credit. Ah. And so then I had to look into, and and the reason was because I was the only Canadian picked. So they didn't know what to do with me. (laughs) So uh, anyways, it was a really cool experience. And 2013, just amazing. I actually, um, I didn't know what it what it was going to be like. Um, I ended up ordering way too much merchandise. Uh, musicians, upcoming artists, if you're listening, don't don't get too much merchandise. People who don't know who you are, I know it doesn't. I know it's not fair, but people who don't know you who you are, they want free stuff. They mm. want to have something that you can give them that they'll remember and then possibly invest in you in the future because mm. they would rather spend their forty dollars on a Blake Tel- Blake Shelton T shirt. Interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so that was one 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 kind of mistake that I made that I learned from. Um, and and it was crazy. I didn't take a break. Uh, it was four days. Meet and greets. Probably saw, gosh, like thousands of people came through. Um, the booth and just tried to get my mailing list up and um, and just I didn't take a break. I found out after the four days were over <laughs> that I could have gone out down into the green room where like all the celebrities were, <laughs> uh. but I, I didn't take a break because I was like, you know what, I I I'm a, I'm an emerging artist and yeah, and yeah. I need to work. Yeah, you have you to know? maximize and then, your time there. Yeah, and then so then for the next year, I don't know if it, I the next year two thousand and um, fifth or two years. 2015 when I applied I actually was put on a wait list because I had already done it oh so it's not that it worked to your advantage it was technically to your disadvantage yeah so they they were like well we'll we'll let you know like we'll let you know and so then I was like okay so I kind of had written it off I was like it's not gonna happen and then I I got an email saying hey you know you've been accepted again. So, um, so I had to kind of scramble to put everything together, but luckily cause I had done it before I kind of knew what to expect. And, um, that year I made a point of taking an hour lunch break and I was able to meet some really cool people like, um, Phil Vassar who I don't know if, you know, I think he's really well known, but there's some people who might not know who he is. And he, he's just written so many songs. If you, if oh, you yeah. have not heard of oh, him, yeah. please look him up. <laughs> um, but I met him and he just, he saw my badge, you know, that I was an emerging artist and he made a conversation with me and wow. took some pictures Fantastic. and was just so kind. And same with Jamie O'Neill. And I met Brenda Lee, um, who's the original singer of rocking around the Christmas tree. Hey, um, and, um, yeah, just so many people that were just so kind and and so lovely. That's awesome. And yeah, just grew my fan base, and it was an amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. grew my fan base. I, I, I had two follow up questions. One of them was going to be again with with the business hat on. 
you know, were, did you did you notice a, a quote unquote spike in your business by by because you said the first time you went, you didn't know about the green room. You just really pounded the pavement and you maxed out the opportunity. So did you see a spike in, say, social media following in music sales, in newsletter signups, things of that nature? Yeah. So the first the first time, 2013, uh, didn't know what we were we were doing. Really, when you think about it, we kind of just were these you know, Canadian family that came in and we were like, look at all these booths. People were building like sheds and with, with, with <laughs> roofs and it was so intimidating. There were so many major label artists, emerging artists that were there and they had all this, their booths were just decked out. And I was like, I started saying to my parents, oh my gosh, like we don't like my booth's not going to be that nice. Like, what are we going to do? And they, they, they went out into antique stores and, and, and thrift shops and they found like these homespun things when we made our booth just really warm and inviting. You were, you were responsible for providing your own booth. Yeah. Like they gave you the space and you had to decorate it, (laughs) which I didn't realize you had to decorate it too. But then when we got there and saw these people with, with like, I'm not kidding. They were building like one person built like a, a front porch Wow. With like rocking chairs and a roof and yeah. wood and everything. It was crazy. So when we made it kind of more homespun, uh, when people came by the booth, we had we had a, had a little listening station. Um, oh, nice. And then the, the second day we learned from the first day and, and we said, we need we need a mailing list sign up sheet because everybody was asking us, well, where do I sign up for your newsletter? Wow. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have a newsletter. Anything. So then I mean, yes. right here. <laughs> <laughs> so we so we kind of put out a, a you know, a makeshift piece of paper. So then that day we the next day okay. we printed one out. And okay. so. So, yeah. So so we got lots. We by the that first year, I think we got about 600 people signed up to my wow, newsletter, fantastic. my mailing list. And then we, I definitely saw a spike in social media. Um, tons of people sending me s- snapshots or screenshots of, um, of our picture that we took, you know, awesome. together at fanfare. And awesome. yeah, just a really cool experience. If, if, if you meet the criteria, definitely apply. Cause it's a, it's an awesome, an awesome thing. Okay. But then do you know, and I realize that you said that they told you, well, you've been here before, so we have to kind of put you in a waiting situation, but do you know how, or, or maybe if the, the organizers, does word get back to them? Do they walk around with a clipboard and go, ooh, that girl looks like she's drawn a lot of people? I mean, how do, do they get any feedback and go, yeah, that Beth Marie Anderson, yeah, yeah, she she was good. <laughs> she drew a lot of people. We need to have her back. Or or maybe you don't you know. know. I, I don't know what their, what their, you know, algorithm for picking people is. I, I know that they have people that vet, you know, the, the online presence. So sure. so people will go and look at all the social media platforms. They'll listen to the music. Um, I don't think... And, and I'm, I mean, in, in a nice way, like there's lots of people who do music that aren't super awesome. Sure. <laughs> so when, when they go to listen to music, they really do take into account, even if somebody has a high follower, follower, um, base, yeah. they will go and listen to all the music, yep. um, to make sure that it fits for their brand before they'll accept you into the fan for that's, that's the only really part that I know. Well, and as I've talked about before in the show, let's face it. People can buy followers, and I myself will look at someone's social media following, and then my eyes will drop down, and I'll say, okay, they've got a boatload of followers, but what kind of engagement are they getting on their posts? Because if they're getting little to no engagement, then they probably bought those followers. So obviously the CMA 
organizers know about that too. And you're saying not only that, Bruce, but they take it one step further and they listen to your music and they go, you know what? You got 247,000 Twitter followers, but your music really isn't anything special. So we're moving on. Right. It's totally true. I was saying all that in the context of that, as I mentioned, you already have the CMA Fanfare in Nashville in June on your 2018 live dates calendar. Uh, You had started to touch on this before, but since we're talking about next year, you say that you're going to be premiering a new sound and style in 2018? Yes. Yes, I'm very excited. Um, My my style has, I, I I don't know, my... As an artist, I feel like it's important to experiment and grow. And um, I don't know if if uh, if you read far enough back, I, I probably didn't include it in my in my most recent biography. But I actually was trained as a classical um, an opera singer. Wow! And uh, when I made the switch to country, there are two different voices, and so one is just really big and open, and and it's it's a ginormous voice whereas my country one when I when I first originally switched over into it a little bit more country it's a little bit more nasally a little bit smaller um still had a big range but not necessarily a big big voice if you will and um as I've been growing my voice has been changing with me to the point now where I've kind of if you will I've kind of married both of my voices together so Mm -hmm. now I have more of a complete I have a really deep big lower range as well as all the way up to my top range just because Mm. I'm coming more into my voice uh, every year. So my style originally, you know, it was, I was trained classically, but always loved country music, which is why I decided to do country music because I wanted a genre that I could, that people listen to the lyrics and that they sang well live because I, at the time, you know, back in 2000 and, seven to, to 2008, nine, I was, I was kind of watching all these pop singers and it was kind of when, you know, people were lip syncing to tracks. And I thought if I'm going to be an artist, I want people to come to my concert and say, holy crap, she can sing just as well live, if not better than on her albums. Ah. And that's what I wanted. And so now that I've grown and, you know, gone through all of these different uh, albums that I've done, I feel like the sound more is kind of like, it's still got a country feel because I'm still writing very uh, either storytelling songs or I'm uh, very descriptive, kind of like folk country, if you will. Uh-huh. But I find that when I'm singing, if I really want to sing in my true voice with 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 everything, it's a little bit more soulful, a little bit mm. more. Um, I don't. I say Janis Joplin, but without the kind of really rock side to it, just very yeah, soulful yeah. and very big. And so I'm, I'm testing out, I hate to be pigeonholed, but I'm testing out like a, <laughs> like a label of, of, um, folk soul because mm. it really is just like when I perform live, I'm performing on my acoustic guitar and I'm playing, but I'm also just really singing in a really full sound kind of like interesting what you would expect from like a Janis Joplin or Adele type sound, yeah. but in kind of a folky country storytelling way. Okay. So it's a really different sound that I'm still listening and, and um, writing down notes that I can reference to kind of, it, it's hard to develop a sound. I'm anybody sure. can, anybody can say, Oh, can you make this album sound like Carrie Underwood or, <laughs> Oh, can you make this sound, you know, sound like Megan Trainer? But 
if you're trying to develop your own sound that's true to yourself, it actually it's actually quite hard to put it into words. I'm sure. <laughs> so um so yeah, so that's kind of what I'm playing with cool. right now and I'm hoping to have something next year. But that being said, if I'm pouring my heart into it and I still just haven't found the right sound, I'm I might just wait another year, but when it when it does come out, it's gonna be authentically me. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is find yourself someone who's doing what you do that you can have an ongoing dialogue with. Yes, you certainly want to be in touch regularly with your manager, And yes, family or your significant other are good support systems. However, having someone that can relate directly with your challenges will help you feel like you're not alone in this. You can ask one another, hey, are you seeing X out there too? Or I have this situation at venue X. I know you perform at location Y, which is similar. How would you handle it? Seek someone out for a buddy system rather than viewing them as your competition. Remember, there's strength in numbers. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers, to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. Beth, let's shift over to just Beth Marie Anderson, the songwriter. Last year, 2016, you took a step back from performing and, among other things, focused on writing with artists across North America for their projects. This has come up before on other episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment, but I've always been interested in hearing about someone writing for other artists instead of themselves. How different is that or isn't that? And since you are a recording artist, is it satisfying enough getting a cut with someone else? Or do you ever second guess yourself and say, wow, maybe I should have just recorded that song myself? Oh, you know, um, the only time I ever feel like that when I second guess is uh, if the song was written um, from both of our perspectives and the song uh, meant something to me and them. Then if they recorded it, I might be like, oh, I could have done that differently and it could have sounded like this. But uh-huh. for the most part, when I'm writing with other artists, it's I'm servicing them. I'm saying, what do you want to say? How would you say this? Because this is how I would say it. And mm, and just trying to figure out what their voice is, because a lot of the times I'm writing with with newer and younger artists than myself. And so they're kind of, if you will, they're kind of green. E- even if they've done a lot of stuff, they, they're they they're still young enough that they haven't experienced the scope of <laughs> maybe of, of everything that of life, life has to offer. Yeah. So we have to say, what experiences have you done and, and how do you feel? What do you want to say? What's your brand? Um, and, and really, you know, what 
it really comes down to what they want to say because if somebody says to me, I don't want to talk or I don't want to sing anything to do with drinking and it's in a, it's a country music song, then it's like, okay, well, is it relationships? Is it God? Is it, are we writing about a flower? Like what, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? What, what else could we say? And, and I think that that has really helped me become a better songwriter because I've had to start ah. viewing everything from a different perspective and from somebody else's eyes. Um, so that's a that's a an, the answer to the the question of how different is that or isn't that in terms mm-hmm. of writing for artists instead of for yourself. The the answer mm-hmm. is it is it is very different writing for someone else mm-hmm. instead of yourself. That's 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 some great insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is it is a lot different. And I think you were saying like is it satisfactory? I mean, it it totally is if the artist is pushing it cuz then I feel like it's it's worthwhile for for them to have cut the song um and to be releasing it if they're really excited about it and and they're they're pushing it as hard as as they can. You know, even if it doesn't get picked up by a huge major label uh, or sorry, a, a huge major um radio station if they at the end of the day are so excited that they can't stop sharing it, then that's (laughs) the sign of a really passionate, you know, project or really passionate release. Well, on a related note, you have had song holds with major label artists, including Alabama, Leanne Rimes, Sarah Evans, and Pam Tillis. For the benefit of some listeners who might not know what that means, explain what it means to have song holds and, and I guess how you've gotten into that position. Yeah. So, um, one, one of our songs, which, which kind of takes credit for quite a few of those, uh, was a song called Sunday Shoes. And, uh, I wrote that with a gentleman here in, in Canada and he had connections to what's called a song plugger. And what a song plugger does is they pitch the song to publishers and publishers are basically the the kind of the gatekeepers of the songs and and they are the ones who have the relationships with the managers or the the artists themselves or they're able to get the songs to those people so um so yeah so with with Sunday shoes for instance when you have a there's a couple different ways a <laughs> soft song hold is basically them saying hey we really like this song we're going to hold it and we're 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 going to either listen to it and eventually it might get to the artist or um, there's a medium song hold, you know, or a hard song hold where they're saying, don't show this or pitch this to other people because we're really interested in it. And then sometimes you'll have one of those holds where they say, oh, we're really interested in it. Don't show it to anybody. We're, we're considering to cut this. And it might even go as far as being actually recorded. But then sometimes it actually doesn't mm. make the, the final cut. And so, um, so we've had with Sunday shoes, we've had a few strongholds and a few soft holds where, where they're actually taking it to the artist and, and the artist is listening to it or, uh, or maybe the, the, the publisher is taking it to the producer and the producer is wanting to hold it because they want to compare it against the rest of the tracks to see if it will fit the album. Um, yeah, so so that Sunny Shoes was was on hold for Sarah Evans and, and Leanne Rhymes. In a in a soft hold, can can the song be, you know, shopped to, to, to other mm-hmm. people? Yes, yeah. 
So we we were really lucky with that just because the plugger, the song plugger, was really loved the song. <laughs> so they kept they kind of always would show it first and <laughs> um, and really try and, and push it. So it's it's not only does it take having a good song, but it also takes having somebody who's delivering the song who really believes in it, yeah. who's not just worried about collecting a paycheck, but they're actually you know, doing that obviously, cause you need to work, but, um, but also believing in the material that they're presenting. Yeah. So that, that's, that's amazing. And then the, the other one, um, was actually same sky, which is on my album. And, um, my co-writer, her publisher had a direct contact to Alabama and they, they were considering it, but, um, ultimately, you know, we don't get feedback on why they pass, but, um, just to be, just to be able to jump all these different um, lines, if you will, because you think about, you know, people who are hiring a song plugger that's then pitching to, you know, the, the publisher, the publishers who are then having to pitch to the producer. Yeah. We skipped all that and we went straight to the, the, the producer. Well, and, you know, manager. let's face it, obviously an artist can tell how they're doing in terms of sales, but as a songwriter, that's a different measuring stick. When you can sit there and look at yeah. songs that you've written and you see that they're getting to not only the, the state of where it's a hard or a medium hold, but when it's an Alabama, when it's a Leanne Rimes, when it's a Sarah Evans, a Pam Tillis, people like that, you say, okay, I always thought my songwriting was pretty good and I've really come a long way, but now I really know that it, mm -hmm. there's there's really something to what I'm doing. And so that... You know, that's that's some, exactly. some great validation. There's a lot of people who who get to that that spot that, that don't make it to the next, you know, to the to the actual cut. But it's just it's not it's not a, a artistry. You've got to work really hard to get things done fast. Songwriting is a lifetime like yeah. you have to pitch forever, you know, sometimes. I am talking today with singer, songwriter, guitar player Beth Marie Anderson, who is joining me on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Western Canada. Check out her official website at bethmarieanderson.com, and that's Anderson with an O. She is certainly on social media. On her website, you will find icons to click on to find Beth on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, among other platforms. Just like this show, she is also on Instagram. It's at bethmariemusic. Of course, do buy her music. It's available for purchase on her website, or there's an iTunes link there. At BethMarieAnderson.com, you will also find a tour page where you can see when and where you can go see her perform live. If you find Now Hear This Entertainment to be helpful or just plain entertaining week after week, do consider supporting our Patreon campaign. There is a Patreon button on our website, nhte.net. Or you can just go directly to patreon.com slash NHTE. A few bucks a month or more will also give you some nice thank you gifts and help us do more for this show. Beth, in addition to some of the cuts that you've gotten for songs that you've written for other artists, you also co-wrote with artists that helped secure a $10,000 video grant from Factor Canada, who we heard Ontario Canada-based rocker Rose Cora Perry talk about back on episode 185 when I interviewed her on location at the Summer NAMM show in Nashville, where they had paid Factor Canada did for her to travel to. Beth, talk about this video grant that you were able to get a couple years ago from Factor Canada. Yes, actually, um, the video grant was uh, this year, and it was it was actually through Music BC, through a, um, 
a program called Story Hive. The Factor, the Factor grant was my was my um, my grant to be able to record uh, a few Christmas singles last year, and so both um, both have to be applied for. Um, this this particular one, the ten thousand dollar grant through Story Hive. Um, it was an Edmonton artist that myself and my co-writer David Borez, uh, we were writing for her, and she, uh, her name's Olivia Rose, and she's an amazing young artist in Alberta, um, Canada. <laughs> um, but she she applied as many many Western Can- Canada artists did, and they only picked three people to receive grants for their mm. videos, and so um, she um, submitted this song called hometown sundown and uh she was one of the three artists picked for ten thousand dollar grant which was amazing and we were so excited for her and she ended up doing this this awesome music video um which i'm sure you can check out uh, just by searching olivia olivia rose um and uh and so it's it's fantastic government government funded programs really do help so much for independent artists. I know with my factor grant, um, when I was able to record two of my Christmas songs in 2015, um, it helped me realize kind of what, what I wanted to do with them when I went to go record this album as well. It allowed me to release one of them as a single, which, which is, so awesome because it was a is called a demo grant which means that they they basically pay you to produce demo qualities but huh. i invested a bit more to be able to offset the cost so that i could produce more ah. uh you know nice. <laughs> a little bit more expensive quality so so yeah it's it's just been such a blessing to be able to be involved and and receive myself too um government support is is just it's amazing for sure for sure back in the intro of this show i found myself saying nashville a lot recording there playing (laughs) at the bluebird being at cma fanfare it interests me for a singer songwriter who's all the way out in western canada to want to travel back and forth to nashville i even saw that despite you being way out in western canada when i liked your facebook music page a lot of my Nashville peeps, my Nashville colleagues, my Nashville connections have liked your page too. Just just talk mm-hmm. about that being way out in Western Canada and, and all this connection that you have to Nashville. When I wanted to record an album, I had been singing, I had my first vocal lesson when I was 17, <laughs> which is a pretty late bloomer for somebody who wants to be in the music industry. But uh, I, I decided about five, three, four years. I'm, I'm trying to think back on how long that is. It doesn't really matter. But for a handful of years, I, I was kind of competing in the local scene. And, and some of these, uh, these other artists had, had albums. And I just wasn't getting the press that I wanted. I, I wasn't getting the coverage that I wanted. And I thought to myself, you know what? I need a wow factor. Like what what can I, what can I do? And I'm here. I live on, you know, Vancouver Island, which is literally the furthest, the furthest West you can go <laughs> in Canada. Um, 
literally live on an island. So um, I said, you know, what can I do? And and so I actually uh, opened up my own company. So I'm the president of EMA Entertainment. And I got $10,000 of local investors. And I decided wow. to go record my album in Nashville. Wow. <laughs> so uh, 2009, you know, I traveled down there by myself and attended the 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 NSAI uh, Songposium workshop, which is basically this amazing tool for beginner uh, singer songwriters to to develop network and 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 uh, just you know meet people. And uh, I met uh, this talented writer who was putting on a workshop who uh, asked me what I was doing there. I told him I was recording my album. I was super excited. He said, "Well, you know, show me your songs." I showed him my songs, and he said. These are really bad. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? They're awesome. Everybody likes them back home. And so with that conversation, I ended up actually recording five songs, the, um, or sorry, writing five songs the weekend before I was supposed to be writing. I mean, goodness, I can't get my words in, in my uh, mouth here. <laughs> before I was going to be recording. And so I actually ended up scrapping five songs that I had thought that I was recording that Monday um, that I had written over the weekend with these talented writers. And uh, kind of that's kind of how my debut album ended up, you know, coming together was 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 by rewriting everything before before I actually started recording. So. In that, they introduced me to other people. I had started to go down quite a few times just because the inspiration and the people and the writing and just the music hub. I had never experienced anything like that for where I'm from. And in Canada, we have some really amazing communities, um, musical communities. But you just, when you want to do certain music, you can't quite beat certain music hubs like LA or New York or Nashville or Austin or so. Um, so yeah, I I actually focused all my effort on, um, on Nashville for, from about 2009 to about 2015. Um, and then in 2016, I kind of took a step back and I said, okay, you know, I've, I've, I've developed, I have my network and, and I decided that I kind of wanted to, to start getting back into the Canadian scene. So now I'm trying to do both, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but that's kind of why I have so many connections to Nashville just because I honestly went down there so often for about six years. Well, you don't have to say it if you don't want to, but the person that told you these songs are really bad, do you want to say that person's name or no? <laughs> I, oh, well, I, it, I only ask because it might be someone who's been on the show. Um, no, uh, I don't know, but his name's uh, Mark Allen Barnett. Yeah, he actually he has, has been this, on the show twice. He has, yeah, he has this awesome songwriting experience yes, he that does. you can do. Yeah, and yeah. and he was one of the first people who um who you know wrote with me on on my stuff, and and he was a really strong connector for me. Mab is wonderful. He has been on this show twice. The first time he was on was way, way, way back on episode 12. And it was so popular that I had him back on episode 102. And listeners, <laughs> even though we're up to episode 202 with Beth, if you never heard episode 12 or episode 102 with Mab, as he's affectionately known, Mark Allen Barnett, <laughs> go back and listen to one or both of those. He's he's extremely, extremely insightful and, and, and very helpful to people like Beth as they come through 
to Nashville, particularly from out of town. Beth, mm-hmm. we're going to close today with another song of yours from the new Christmas album. You've mentioned it a couple times, a song called Same Sky. So before we let you go, tell the listeners all about this song, please. Yes. So Same Sky, um, I wrote with a beautiful writer um, in Nashville. Her name's Lynn Wilbanks. And um, we we wanted to create something that was was fresh and kind of new, a different spin on the the story of of Christ and the reason for the season. And we just started thinking of different different ways to say that and um and we were talking about how crazy it was that even throughout time that we'll always be under the same sky, the same you know, doesn't matter where you are in the world, it was the same sky that that Jesus was born under. And so we thought that was a pretty cool title, so then we started working at uh, at writing it, and and this song kind of fell out. Yeah, as I was listening to it when you sent it to me in the lead up to today's show, I listened to it and it really touched me. And I thought, wow, what a really cool concept! What a, what a nice story that they've built here. So, uh, congratulations! It's a, it's a really good song. I'm anxious to play it here in just a minute. But in the meantime, Beth, thank you ever so much for your time today. God bless you. Uh, have a merry Christmas. And uh, all the best for 2018 and as your career continues. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thank you for having me on. It was awesome. You bet. Listeners, that's going to do it for this week. Many thanks to my guest, singer, songwriter, guitar player, Beth Marie Anderson. Do visit her official website. It's BethMarieAnderson.com. As I said before, Anderson with an O. And then engage with her on social media. So that means like her Facebook page, follow her on Twitter and Instagram, subscribe to her YouTube channel, and then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell her you heard her and her music on Now Hear This Entertainment. This is the perfect time to buy her new Christmas album. You can purchase Beth's music right on her website or from the iTunes link there. And of course, keep up with her tour dates so you can see where and when you can go check out one of her live performances. Again, if this show helps you as an up-and-comer with some lessons, or if you're just someone whose commute or workout or even your flight or your walk is made more enjoyable by listening to Now Hear This Entertainment, please consider supporting our Patreon campaign. There's a button to take you there at nhte.net, or just go directly to patreon.com slash nhte. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you very much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Beth Marie Anderson. This is the one she just talked about. It's called Same Sky. Angels singing 